0: this week on deep night
1: but i actually operate a lot better under this sort of environment much better it's fun you got to keep working absolutely in yeah. san francisco i definitely would like smoke weed and sit down that's like <laughs> what i would do if yeah, i was out there right you now you can't do that here no you're trampled
0: me, all right <laughs> Oh, friends, hello. It's me, Dale Seaver, your smaller than predicted snowfall, your slippery bit that the neighbor didn't scrape, and the puddle of slush that is our astral selves. And as your host, I implore you to take my invisible hand and join me on a journey through another hour of regrets and revelations to a destination we call the Deep Night. I'm so pleased to be with you once again, reminding you that we come to you, as we always do, ...from the foul banks of the Gowanus... ...and oh, the Gowanus has congealed to a near solid state. It will never achieve such a state... ...but it's getting closer because it's so very cold. We're in a deep freeze that uh, came after this... ...not quite a blizzard. uh, But it's very cold and I'm in my thick socks... ...and multiple layers of under trousers... ...and I'm wearing a beautiful crocheted hat that Glinda found for me uh, out there on the plane. She brought it back. She said, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this, and uh, it's just wonderful. It's uh, in, in fact, it's quite hot. Uh, <laughs> it might be singeing a chakra or two. Well, right off the bat, you know, I love podcasts. I love doing them. I love listening to them. And one of the things I love is when you get a great comedian, and they just say, hey, I'm going to be at the Yik Yak Club here and there. And so I thought I would do that. I'll give you a couple of the appearances that I'm going to be making, you know, because I'm so busy with stuff. So we've got a couple right off the bat I want to tell you about. First off, we're going to be live on March 22nd at the Slipper Room in New York City on the Lower East Side with an expanded, uh, our, a redefined lineup. This is the thing. Anytime I ever do a show, it never quite achieves its final form until oh, almost the day of. So everything's always changing and falling into place. It's exactly as it was meant to be. So joining me on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. will be Hadia Robinson, great comedian, Maggie Sirota, terrific writer, Alex English, another great comedian, and spiritualism photographer, huh, Shannon Taggart. Oh, Shannon's got a great book, and she's done years and years of research into seances and conjuring and mediums. And I cannot wait to get things started uh, with her and see how things go. Uh, Cornelius Loy will also be there playing his magical theremin. We're going to have a great time of it. It's quite an evening. Ticket information uh, is on the website, so chase that down. Then on March 29th, I'll be hosting the Brooklyn Loft Party. Hey, that sounds fun. At Littlefield, right here on the Gowanus, it's a night of variety dancing, comedy, and more. And I'm thrilled to be the guest master of ceremonies, and I'll see you there. That's on the 29th, both uh, uh, happening uh, nearby if you're in New York, so that'll be great. On tonight's Sojourn, I am joined by New York-based comedian Jess Tom. Jess is a very funny stand-up whose recent special, Cold Brew, was just recorded at QED up there in Astoria in Queens. They joined me in the Deep Night studios on the... Blustery, blustery day, uh, right after the the snow uh, uh, and the ice pellets that we had. Uh, Together, we discussed growing up in San Francisco. Oh, I love San Francisco. I talk about it too much in this episode, but I love it. How to be a cyborg and the slow puncture of one's progressive bubble. Sometimes we need that, don't we? As usual, I learn a great deal in the process of this conversation and probably stumble over more than one issue on the path to escaping my own privilege. Par for the course. It was a good talk, and Jess had some terrific shows coming up as well, so be sure and seek them out. Now, without delay, let's go ever further into the deep night for my conversation with Jess Tom. Jess Tom, how are you?
1: I'm quite well. I'm happy to be here today.
0: Well, I'm happy you're here, too. Uh, we just survived a big icy blizzard.
1: That we did. Um, I did slide all the way over here. Yeah, from Queens. <laughs>
0: you know what's interesting about New York? Maybe not that interesting, but interesting to me as I was coming out here. You know, you move to a place like New York and you think you want to make your own path. You want to be an individual. But when it snows, it's revealed that we're all treading in the same gray, slushy, uh, single file. We all have to do the same thing, you know.
1: Yeah. uh, We all have to walk in each other's footsteps. That's
0: right. (laughs) Which is poetic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Were it not so slushy. But uh, we've had such a mild, in fact, warm, in fact, end-of-the-world kind of warm feeling of winter haven't we? February has been kind of warm. I promise we'll talk about something other than the weather. But uh, the, I knew that, I said, it's going to be a big snowstorm when it comes to March, and then we had kind of one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's how it works.
1: Yeah. I prefer uh, I prefer the warm side of climate change, I yeah. think.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, you're yeah. You're ready for the sea levels to rise.
1: I, I guess so, that, which is dangerous for somebody who mostly moves... Around peninsulas. (laughs) Yes. You've got to be careful.
0: Yeah. Peninsula dwellers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's the closest thing that I feel to being a farmer when I can predict the weather like that. When I say, well, I know we're going to have one in my... You know, those people, they can do... They raise whole crops just with a little wet finger.
1: Yeah. Or like... um, God, I think of like the... I don't know Gary Larson cartoon that has like the old porcupine on the porch. Is this like an extremely obscure reference? That <laughs> the only Far am... Side. Yeah, the yeah, Far Side yes. cartoon where it's like storms are coming. Yeah,
0: um, I'm there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's what I think of all the time.
0: I have them all cut out and put up on my fridge.
1: I uh, my dad had the big books of them that I would just pour through as oh, a kid. Weren't they great? Yeah, yeah, I like those. Good writing in there. I think I probably learned a lot about, <laughs> about humor coming. from that, or about talking animals, at least.
0: <laughs> but uh, do you have uh, powerful uh, connections to the land, generally?
1: Um, <laughs> no, not. No. I, I consider myself to be uh, more of more of a uh, cyborg queer than an earth magic queer. Oh. Yeah. Is that,
0: is that how it uh, splits down or that's just one way?
1: Well, I don't believe in the binary. Sure, but... <laughs> no, me neither. But I do think that I fall further onto the cyborg side of the spectrum.
0: Ah, well, maybe we can talk about that in a little bit because I'm intrigued by that. Absolutely. Uh, uh, how the cyborg comes into play. But uh, uh, interesting, not that, because I found out that I'm a wood rabbit. Oh. I don't know what that means. That's something different.
1: Like. In, is that Chinese astrology? It's or? like an
0: astrology, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I, the
0: closest thing I could come to. What did you say? Earth magic?
1: <laughs> yeah, earth Earth magic queer <laughs> versus cyborg queer.
0: <laughs> well, we'll get into it. Uh, but you have some difficult feelings around blizzards? You had a tough relationship? That happened with a blizzard or did you fall in
1: love with a oh, blizzard? Oh I did. I did. I did. See, it's like I, I've like repressed it, so now I'm <laughs> well, sorry. I'm like, you. oh 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 right, 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 that thing that happened to me. Um <laughs> yes, last year, um, the in January there was a blizzard much worse yes. than the one that we just had. Yep. Um yeah, and I happened to get snowed in with somebody who I had just um started like being interested in or just started talking to. Which is funny because Today, or not today, but yesterday, I also was snowed in with somebody, which well. I, I know. I guess I'm trying to make that into some sort of uh, recurring vignette <laughs> <laughs> in my life. <laughs> um, trying
0: to manifest the blizzard love.
1: Yes. Um, in, in the case of last year, though, because it was like an actual blizzard, we ended up spending like around three days together, basically like locked in a room. Yeah. Um, because this person was living with some roommates that they didn't particularly care for, so we didn't even, like, leave that room, really. We just sort of, like, hung out the whole time. Um, well, and
0: as as I understand it, you also described it as almost having sex the whole time.
1: Yes, there was a lot of almost sex. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I get that. Yes.
0: <laughs> for instance, my, my wife and I had a romantic evening the other night, and uh, it consisted of reheating some macaroni and cheese— Uh, We watched uh, Waiting for Guffman, and uh, then she put on some medically required face cream, and I uh, adjusted my snore device in my pillow. And um, I think for a minute there, though, it was almost sex.
1: That really all (laughs) sounds like it was inching closer and closer and closer to sex. Doesn't Uh, it? Yes, but, you know, it it never never reaches zero. It just gets closer and closer and closer.
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's what it's like. (laughs) <laughs> I did wake to the sound of screaming squirrels, though. Did you? So that's ki- kind of like sex.
1: It uh, kind of like sex, kind of like spring. Yes, you know, life goes on, procreation happens.
0: <laughs> but that didn't work out with that person.
1: Unfortunately, no. Um, yeah, and that was what my uh, the comedy special that I did in August, Cold Brew, was right. focused on mostly. Um, yeah, it it was a very uh, sort of sweeping romantic story uh, where I fell into this really, like, intense, really hyperbolic relationship with this person um, that got really, really, like, just, like, heated and romantic very, very quickly. And then uh, this person ended um, up—they started seeing their ex again, and then— Oh no. Uh right, and this person that the ex person lived in a different city and then this person ended up surprising me by moving to uh, by telling me that they were going to move to that city to be with that other person. Uh, um right, which is funny because that's the way my relationship before that one ended also. There um, seems
0: to be a lot of patterns.
1: Yeah, I know. One begins to wonder <laughs> is it me? <laughs> it's, it must be me. What do you think? That's true? Think it's you? Um I think that I was making um, some some choices that I didn't necessarily have to be making. And I think that there were, you know, things that I was, like, choosing not to see about the relationships that I was in or the people that I was with um, such that that sort of thing might happen to me more than once, in fact, twice in a row.
0: Right. Well, in fact, I don't think that's that uncommon. I mean, I've had it happen to me a number of times where you think, oh, well, this is the one that's going to be – uh, where I won't work out those issues, but here they are again.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying. <laughs> I thought you were saying that you've had a person leave you by uh, moving to another city to be with their other partner happen <laughs> to you multiple times, and I was like, "Oh, fine, okay, everybody has this story. No. I might as well stop talking about it."
0: <laughs> we're all walking in the same slush, my <laughs> <Yes>. friend. <laughs> no, no. I meant the thing where you go back to the same kind of. Uh, uh, problems, or at least the problems manifest over and over again.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you
0: think, well, this person has a job, and then I won't have to take care of them, and then they don't anymore.
1: Well, everybody, <laughs> ah! everybody has some way that they need to be taken care of.
0: It's true. It's true. And sometimes we have to work out what happened with our parents, don't we?
1: Everybody has parents. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you didn't grow out. Speaking of parents, you didn't grow up out here. You grew up in...
1: In San Francisco, In San yes. San Francisco.
0: What was the microclimate where you were uh, uh, born and raised?
1: The microclimate. Um, well, can you, can you define specifically what you yourself mean by microclimate?
0: Uh, I mean, uh, what uh, uh, there's our neighborhoods in San Francisco, Yes, and each one has maybe fog from two to three, yes. and then it will have a warming spell up until about five, and then it will cool down dramatically. Uh, so that you think that you're going to be okay eating outside, but in fact you need a scarf and a hat.
1: Yes, rookie mistake. Uh, (laughs) I I did grow up in the outer Richmond. Outer Uh, Richmond. Yeah, so north of the park and out west by the beach.
0: Considerable fog.
1: Considerable fog. It's very cold out there.
0: Very cold out there.
1: Yeah, so I am not accustomed to that, like, nice, sunny San Francisco weather. Like, in fact, the barometer that I always used to use was that if it was a nice day in my neighborhood, it must be a beautiful day everywhere, like in the world, <laughs> right. uh, because you never see the sky where I live. In fact, the um, we're so close to the ocean that sometimes the salt in the air will peel paint off of the cars.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you see that on the hoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, peeling back mm-hmm. on a nice Ford Taurus or something.
1: Yeah, in uh, my neighborhood it was a VW Bug usually. <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like it out there.
1: I quite like it too. Yeah, it, and you talk
0: about the air—that's the quality that I—I'm always uh, uh, so. Uh, enthusiastic about coming back to San Francisco and it it hits you immediately that the air is so clean and when you get out, especially out there by the park, you get a little bit of eucalyptus Mm -hmm. in the air and there's nothing quite like it. It's magical.
1: Yeah, I love eucalyptus. It's one of my favorite invasive species. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Right. (laughs) If you're going to have one, make it smell good. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) The leaves are so long and interesting. Um, No, I love
0: eucalyptus. (laughs) Well, that the Golden Gate Park is all made up. hmm Yeah. mm mm-hmm. I guess all parks are.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. I mean, not, the, you know, not ones where they said this is a park, but where they came in and they brought the sand and they made the dunes and the homesteads right. involved or whoever, uh, and they put in these trees. And,
1: then- and they were like, you know what would be nicer than this? Just a great expanse of sand. <laughs> um <laughs> Let's just make this into something that's less of an eyesore. Yeah, like and uh, a frisbee golf course. Yes,
0: that's what this city
1: needs. Precisely, and a, <laughs> a, a dog run. I think. <laughs>
0: there, there you go. Yeah, ever have a nice picnic out there.
1: Um, again with uh the salt in the air <laughs> and the fog. Um, although I was I was a Girl Scout for thirteen years, actually. Oh, good for you. Thank you. It was it was a real achievement. Um, but. We would have like big picnics and potlucks out in the park.
0: What's the motto for them?
1: For the Girl Scouts? Oh God, I I don't know exactly the motto. The motto for Boy Scouts is "Be prepared." You
0: better believe it.
1: I I know, (laughs) Um, and I I'm not sure. I know the Girl Scout Promise and the Girl Scout Law, but I'm not sure what. Well, we'll look that up.
0: We'll put a link up on the site, <laughs> but I do love coming to San Francisco. I love you get you fly in and you have that nice drive along the water, and th- that that part of the uh, city ish, city adjacent is uh, sunny often. And you come in and the sun is coming and it's just glorious. You take the little train to get to the rental car, and then you get on the highway and you go up to the city. The first time I traveled to San Francisco was Christmas, mm. you know, and it was so unusual because I'm from the East Coast, but to see Christmas lights and have it be warm was a new experience. It's one of the most, uh, the things that sticks with me the most is being completely different from any place that I had been and uh, other than like a Florida or something, but ugh, uh, <laughs> you know, n- n- nowhere near as lovely. And San Francisco, it holds a special place, as you can tell in my heart. What was your experience growing up there? You had a lot of scouting adventures. What other things were you into?
1: Um, I mean, San Francisco is a really cool place to grow up, like, young and Asian American. um, Yeah. Because it's really, especially the Richmond, where I'm from, is a total uh, cultural enclave. Um, It's a lot of Chinese American folks, a lot of, like, Eastern European, like, Russian, Ukrainian folks. Um, I always used to joke that... uh, that when I found out from like a census that the majority of the population of San Francisco was white, that I was like, where are the white people though? Like, where are they? Because in my experience, everybody at every single level was Asian, the doctor, the dentist, the person who takes out the trash, the bus driver, it just like uh, the newscaster, every single level, it was Asian people. So I was like, there's there's like other people here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're there now. <laughs> that, that's true. It is true. There they are. You can find them now. D- does your family have a long history in the Bay Area?
1: Yeah. Um, my mom uh, grew up in San Francisco. She actually went to Washington High School, which is like three blocks away from the house where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother was also born in the Bay Area, but she went to internment camp during World War II. Oh. Um, yeah. So she, her family ended up getting moved around a lot, of course, and she ended up going to school in, like, Salt Lake City, um, in Utah, but they all ended up coming back. We have a long California history. Yes. From, like, Southern California, um, and then on up into the Bay. My dad grew up in L.A. I
0: see. I see. And they have one of the um, most storied Chinatowns in in the nation is right there.
1: Uh, San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, what I think is really great about SF is that, like, because we're in the Richmond, I actually, as like a half Japanese, half Chinese American person, I have spent almost no time in San Francisco Chinatown um, <laughs> because I don't have to. because yes. I'm from the right. Richmond. So, like, right. I'm like, why would I have to go all the way over there?
0: Well, I I, uh, didn't spend too much time there, but I liked walking through there. Anywhere you can walk in San Francisco Mm -hmm. is beautiful, and you can do a walk right through Chinatown up into um, um, Columbus. What's that? The Italian. You know what I'm saying. North Beach.
1: North Beach, yeah. Yeah, It's up. Sometimes (laughs)
0: it falls out of my brain. But uh, one of the times I was there, I went in, and I went to see the, the fortune cookie factory. Mm-hmm. I lived there a long time, never went to things like that.
1: I feel like I might have gone on a field trip yeah, there. Yeah, sounds
0: like a Girl Scout adventure. Yeah, <laughs> as a kid. It's kind of impressive, though.
1: I have almost no recollection of it. Um, it was sort of... <laughs> Not that impressive. Well, it's one of those things... Uh, Growing up as like a Chinese kid in San Francisco where we're like, yeah, like fortune cookies were invented here, like obviously. Like oh, that right. that makes perfect sense. Fortune cookies were invented here. The gold rush happened here. Obviously that happened.
0: Right. It may just make sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like look around. Duh. Like of course that happened here.
0: <laughs> but uh you know, uh you get you get to someplace like Outer Sunset, Richmond, something like that. Uh I don't really have a sense. As you say, it was a great place to grow up uh, as an Asian-American person. Uh, You had a kind of bubble there. (laughs) But then uh, when you add the level of sort of queerness to that, how does that come into um, um, contact, uh, conflict, whatever, with uh, maybe a more traditional strain of uh, uh, an immigrant family or even a family with long roots there?
1: Yeah. I mean, my family being – fifth generation um it's sort of it's a pretty complicated like queer narrative my experience of growing up young and queer and asian in san francisco was that i got kind of confused by the liberal bubble Uh and it was almost as though um because everything was purported to be so like safe and progressive and liberal I really rejected a lot of like the queer parts of myself Hmm. Um, or it like it really mm, it's interesting. It it caused it caused me to like incubate a lot of like internalized homophobia, interestingly enough, because I sort of thought, you know, well, here I am at like a extremely fancy private school extremely fancy private high school in san francisco after having only ever gone to public school before that that was where i learned where the white people were
0: Uh, (laughs) yeah there there they
1: are yeah and uh, they're at private school um and you know here nobody is like pushing me into a locker or like writing like you know, dyke on my like backpack or whatever it is that like happens on t v so I was like, "Well, why should I need to seek out a community? Why should I need to like uh you know reach out to other queer people um so it was it was interesting the way that that happened, although at the same time when I think about it, all my friends were little gay, queer, and trans people um right. so it was almost like I was saying one thing, and then I was really. And my actions were showing me obviously desperately needing community with other people, um, even as I, like, didn't believe that I actually needed that.
0: Well, I think I understand what you're saying because there's such a progressive – Surge, There's, that's the, that is the uh, dominant culture is progressive mm-hmm. in San Francisco, that you do feel a little backlash to it. Yeah. I remember getting irritated at the rainbow grocery, like, I'm never going to buy anything out of a bulk bin again. This is right. ridiculous. <laughs> and right. you have a kind of reaction to what's that because it's almost – it is the dominant culture, I would say.
1: And it- – it, it's sort of that, um, that sort of like colorblind reaction to yeah. that, like, I don't see color, like, why should labels matter? Labels are for soup cans kind of thing because right. you like feel sort of a base level of safe. Whereas I feel like, uh, just from hearing from other folks that I know, living in more kind of openly hostile environments yes. makes it so that people have to seek each other out and have to, like, have more pride in those parts of themselves um, because that is in actual danger for them. Whereas for me, I was like, I don't see why I should have to identify as anything when, like, really all that was was me, like, repressing myself. Right. And so at what point does that uh, open up for you? Um, Well, I... (laughs) I went to women's college after that.
0: Uh, yes, uh, Smith helped with that?
1: Yes, I did go to Smith, um, which uh, Smith is very known for its lesbian and queer population. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, it says so on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, So there, I mean, it was very complicated there, too. It's um, another
0: kind of bubble, though, too.
1: Absolutely it is. Absolutely. A lot of nice shops
0: with tie-dye in yes. the window. Yes, A couple of... Um, uh, vegan shakes that you can get around there,
1: not at all dissimilar to San Francisco <laughs> culturally, but yeah. less diversity,
0: yeah right, a lot uh, of sandals,
1: mm-hmm, a lot of sandals, but at at Smith, what was interesting was that it was a lot of boat shoes and oh. cardigans, oh yes, and sweater vests, um so now it, we're
0: talking my language
1: yes precisely <laughs> um we're we're both wearing <laughs> sweaters and collared shirts right now, <laughs> um but it was very uh smith was queer in this way where it was a lot of like queer and like gay and trans and lesbian identified people kind of aping almost a wasp culture right or like this like elitist ivy league culture um mm-hmm. so that like became really cool and i was like uh oh like i better buy a bunch of sweater vests um and started dressing like a j crew catalog uh and what was interesting about that was that like you know later on years later after i graduated i would like check in with like folks who i had known who i always thought had like such a cool sense of style um this cool like boat shoes thing and then i would be like oh this person is actually a wasp (laughs) like that's what their cultural background is so they weren't Dressing cool or, like, being subversive. There's nothing subversive about this. This is just, uh, like, a rich white person being a rich white person. <laughs> and because they're queer, I, like, thought it was a really cool thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, that's just who they are. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: Everybody should get to just be who they are, their most authentic self.
0: And I, I want to just say I didn't mean to characterize uh, your family as an immigrant family. I realize I used the wrong word there, but I just meant from a, a culturally specific family that might have traditional thoughts yeah. about something, and that might not jibe with Moby Dick's in the Castro or whatever. But <laughs> I also understand that you we're talking about a very progressive place and that, uh, as you said, it's you were resisting the the uh, progressiveness there and then you that kind of tracks with you once you get to smith and that's where you were doing theater
1: i was i did a uh, major in theater um at smith um so what were you doing stage combat uh, uh actually <laughs> some yes um the smith the smith theater department was um i mean i have shade for that yeah It was pretty interesting. So for a woman's college, uh, I actually did some numbers on this. I wish I could remember the exact numbers now. But um, we did a lot of plays that cast more men from other schools and from town than students who went to the school. (laughs) Um, Or we would do plays where there was... One woman who was the lead, but then every other character was a man uh or sometimes even we would do plays where the lead was a woman, but she was cast outside of the school. oh, yeah, that's real helpful. It was extremely frustrating, um. It did. um, The positive spin that I've put on it for myself now, so I don't feel like I was cheated out of my liberal arts education, uh, is that it really forced me to uh, create my own work Uh and to be like, okay, well, basically, like the paradigm isn't going to move to fit me. So I have to like create my own space within this, which is really cool. um, But it also was a lot of like me watching you know, plays with like five guys and one woman in them.
0: <laughs> but was the idea that you would be performing, or was it that you were interested in the directing of things, or what was the area that uh, most attracted you to theater?
1: Uh, I did, um, I did acting there mostly. Um, technically, I like majored in playwriting, but that was just like the classes I wanted to take. But, mm-hmm. but as an actor, I mean, so already, like, I've sort of laid out this situation for you where already there aren't many roles at all for the students who go to the school. Yes. So that's if you fit a uh, demographic that is considered to be castable already. And I am not that thing. Um, and I already was gender nonconforming and I'm always Asian. I can't do anything about that. Um I don't wish to. Um, yes.
0: <laughs> let's be clear. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't wish for that. Um, so there wasn't – it was really, really very difficult for me to kind of claw my way into any of the plays there. Uh, because, to because
0: cast into any of those things.
1: Absolutely. Because I was like, well, if, like, the brown-haired white girls are having a hard time – what am I supposed to do? And, like, the, you know, you would think that at a woman's college, the solution for somebody who's like me, who's, like, pretty androgynous, who is willing... Who's androgynous, who is trans, um, who is willing to play male parts, would be that I would just get to play guys' roles. But they were very... Not... They were much more invested in casting, like, cis men from elsewhere. The first play that I was ever in at Smith... Um, was this Irish family play called Moment by Deirdre Kinahan. The way that I got cast in that was that um, there were three roles for men in this play. I came into the audition. They gave me a woman's side to read. And I was like, I was wondering if I could audition for one of the men's parts. And they were like, no, we're not really doing that. And mind you, all of the casting calls said like non-traditional casting. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, OK, that's that's interesting that you would tell me at the audition that I can't do this. Mm. So again, three roles for men. Only two cis men came into audition. Those two cis men were cast immediately. And then because there was a third role for a man and there was no man who came in for it, then they said that I could audition for that part. And so that was how I ended up in my first play ever at Smith my junior year.
0: It's baffling how that would all uh, transpire that way.
1: It is. It's uh, deeply (laughs) anti-feminist. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well,
0: I mean, especially there. Yes. Uh, What I uh, imagine to be the, uh, the vibe there.
1: Well, that was why I was so uh, kind of hurt by all of this because it was more like the sense of betrayal yeah, rather than just like general exclusion. It was that I had specifically chosen to, gone, to go to this specific women's college that had this reputation so that I could do theater and like make art. And suddenly I was just being bumped out of the room in favor for some guy who walked in off the street. Right. Like literally, just some—they cast the first two beards that came in, and then we're like, oh, God, who was the one that asked? Who was? Yeah, you over the. Okay, fine. C- come here. Can you do an Irish brogue, like?" <laughs>
0: and uh, I bet you could.
1: Well, I learned to. I I had to learn to.
0: <laughs> but now, what did you do, though? Did
1: you did you let people know that this was not okay? I uh, actually ran a pretty public um, campaign. Um, with a few other students um, that we brought to the, the heads of the theater department. But the thing about any sort of student activism at any level is that they just wait for you to graduate and then you're gone. <laughs> Back to the old, <laughs> right. old way. So I have no idea what they're doing there now.
0: Well, you know, I was uh, kind of always drawn to the experimental side of things. Did that hold any interest to you,
1: Um, for you? There was some really cool student theater that was happening while I was there. Uh, I mean, the best play that I was ever in was my senior year. It was a play uh, directed by a student, which was also extremely difficult to do there, to get a main stage play um, directed by a student. You had to jump through all these hoops, so it followed that. Only one student would ever get to do it at a time, um, so it was a really very exclusive sort of thing. Whereas they would get these, they would get random directors from elsewhere to come in and do these. They did a like horrible Commedia dell'arte one time, anyway. Um, <laughs> but Emma Weinstein, who's at Yale Drama right now, um, did a really really cool adaptation of Murat Saad, um that took place in a it was like a young woman's penitentiary, yes um and it was an interactive play where we interacted with the audience and we would come up and we would sit with them and um it was uh the idea being that um Mm, It was a play within a play. We were in a women's penitentiary. We were putting on a play for donors and the audience that was there were those people. So it was like they had to like be in the world with us. It was very cool. But see, that was what a student did. Um, And it it really took like stepping out of the kind of like bureaucracy of the actual theater department with the actual faculty in order to even do anything that was, like, creative and interesting like that. Right.
0: And were there other people outside of the uh, school that you were looking to as inspiration, though? I mean, th- what was the theater, um, a theater hero or something that uh, you might be drawn to?
1: I mean, I don't really think that—
0: Or were there playwrights that you were— uh, fond
1: of? Well, I took a really great um, course with uh, Professor Andrea Hairston, who was my advisor, Um, really, really amazing um, sci-fi novelist. Um, She's really cool. And she did a class that was, um, it was about black women playwrights at large, but specifically focusing on Pearl Clegg um, and her works, which was a really, really great class. And Pearl actually came in um, and spoke to us uh, on like the last day of class and she said this thing that really has stuck with me ever since that I, I quote a lot actually. Um, that was like uh, marginalized people have an easy time relating to their oppressors because we have to see their stories all the time. Mm-hmm. Oppressors have a hard time relating to marginalized people because they never have to see our stories. And like from that I was like, oh shit, like <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I have to. I guess I have to start putting out some stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and you, but how does that then uh, translate to comedy? How do you uh, d- divide off, or do you consider it to be part of a theatrical practice?
1: Um, I mean,
0: when did it start for you? Is the is the underlying question there for
1: comedy? Totally. Um, so I did I did do uh improv all four years that I was in college. Um, and then from improv, I. I started doing stand up. I want to say when I was twenty, um, when I was home uh, on a break, uh, it was at a spot called Brainwash. Have you been there? Yeah, the
0: uh, the laundromat.
1: Yeah, laundromat slash cafe slash yes, bar. Yeah. Um And they used to have a like a woman's. Um, I'm making air co- air quotes here. Um, comedy mic that I just sort of showed up to one time. Um, I had always wanted to do stand up. I used to watch Margaret shows clips on YouTube. Like I didn't watch her full specials, I just watched whatever clips were on YouTube, so uh-huh. they were all out of order. They were all from different <laughs> times of her life. She was like varying uh body types. She looked really really different in all of them. Um but I love her. Uh of course, she's an Asian girl from San Francisco. <laughs> um yeah, and I I just went to this mic um when I was 20 at home for a break and it was really fun for me and what started to happen was that uh people would try to book me on their shows but i was only there for like winter break or whatever so i'd have to be like sorry like i'm going home on wednesday or i'm going back to college on wednesday Um, but
0: you never did that at smith you never did any of the the stand-up did you bring it back
1: i hosted a couple of um comedy or stand-up comedy nights like with my improv group yes um but I didn't do anything out in like the bars or anything like that. I, I think I was really still just trying to find uh, my voice as a comic, and and then when I moved out here afterwards, um, to New York, I didn't even really intentionally have it in my head that I was going to pursue stand up. Um, I was sort of like, well, you know, I majored in theater. I don't want to live in Massachusetts anymore. <laughs> I might as well come to New York. <laughs> um, and I sort of was like, well, I can try to pr- pursue improv, acting, or stand-up. Uh, and stand-up is the only one where you can be like, okay, I'm just going to go and do it tonight. Uh, and so I went and did it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that early set of Brainwash, though, you had jokes. Oh, yeah. You, you were ready to go.
1: Yeah, I okay. so what I did, which is funny to me now that I'm, like, a comic who moves through these worlds a lot more, uh, of course, um, was that I showed up at the open mic but didn't perform. I just watched everybody because uh-huh. um, I wanted to, like, get, like, the temperature of what was happening in the room. Like, right. they asked me. They were like, are you going to sign up? And I was like, no, I'm just going to watch. And it was, like, five people, you know. Um, and I was like, that. I can do that. <laughs> but, I mean, it was an open mic. You know, it wasn't. It, uh, yeah, the, it was. It was open mic standards. So I was like, oh, I, I, I think I could do that. Went back home, wrote myself a little seven minute set, and then came back the next week and was like, okay, this time you can put me down on there. <laughs> You're ready. Yeah,
0: I think that's a good thing to do.
1: I think it was good, too. You want to I, know
0: what the tenor of the room is. You want to know what the scene is.
1: I wanted to be prepared. Yeah. And, like, I don't really um, – the funny thing is that I don't really watch that much stand-up. Um, and so I'm not as, like, learned in stand-up as, like, a lot of other folks are. So I think that I really just needed to see, like, what was even happening in that room. Right. What is the joke? What's happening?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it worked out, whatever it was, and it clicked for you. I, and I then think you it came did. here and you started doing more of it.
1: That I did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, that I did. I like, um, I like saying things that are true.
1: <laughs> and it's it's a totally I mean, obviously it's a totally different scene out here. yeah. Um, in San Francisco, obviously it's much smaller, there's much fewer people. Um, you know, uh, everybody's uh, just chill out there
0: they give you they give you space they like a pause
1: yes they'll
0: they'll let you have a pause for as long as you need it
1: there's it's it's not cutthroat <laughs> as it is it's not every single person uh under the same uh adolescent delusion of fame which i definitely have um <laughs> clawing at each other to like get to the top but i actually operate a lot better under this sort of environment much better
0: It's fun. You got to keep working.
1: Absolutely. In San Francisco, I definitely would like smoke weed and sit down. That's like what I would do if (laughs) I was out there right now. You can't do that here. No. Get (laughs) get trampled.
0: Uh, uh, Now, I was, of course, doing a lot of comedy in San Francisco. Probably at the time that you were a young person, but you never saw me, did you?
1: I don't believe I did. I mean, I only ever.
0: It's a shame, isn't it?
1: (laughs) I know. I feel. (laughs) I feel very sad to have missed out on that now. You can
0: never fill that hole.
1: I can never go back. (laughs) There's only forward from here. That's
0: right. Uh, That's probably for the best. But now, uh, how quickly do you start landing some of these big gigs with uh, Judy Gold, Rosie O'Donnell, these kind of things? How does that all come about?
1: Well, that was really cool, and that kind of came as a surprise to me, um, actually. The way that that came about, which um, this was the— L-pack, uh Hillary fundraiser show that I did last oh, summer Yes, um, that had all these big names on it um, and I just woke up one day to an email that was like hi you know like I used to um, from from a person who told me that she used to uh, produce for Letterman I think hmm. um, and now was putting together this event for this lesbian super pack, which I didn't know that was a thing but now I know that that's a thing Um I mean, what's what's interesting about being like a queer Asian American fifth generation, you know, non-binary trans person in comedy is that, like, not to, like, play the diversity card, but because I occupy an extremely niche demographic, people need me a lot. <laughs> it's right. also true, you know, on that specific show that I was, like, by far, first of all, the least famous, the youngest. Um, I was the only Asian person, and I was the only non-lesbian identified person on the show. So I was like, "Oh, like, tokenism is really working out for me today." <laughs> um, I mean, I'm also, I'm also a, a competent comic, if I do say so myself. Yes, yes, um, of
0: course, yes.
1: So, but I. How does
0: that feel to be a, a token in that kind of a thing?
1: I mean, there's always um, it's always going to be sort of a complicated thing because it's like, okay, on one hand, you know, I understand that like a lot of the time in entertainment uh, and in the media, a higher power is going to like use my image to like create to paint a picture of diversity. Um, On the other hand, that's a huge platform for me to just say my thing. Yeah. Um, And that's what I figure is the most important. And that's what I like uh, the most about standup is that it's a platform for you to just directly share your point of view and share your opinion. And so I'm like, well, why shouldn't I have, uh, you know, 1100 person audience that I say that to, you know, why shouldn't I do that? Even if I know that, like. Probably, Um, you know, I don't. Nobody ever was like, "Jess, we're gonna have you because you appeal to this like young queer demographic." However, even if I'm probably sure that that's why I was tapped for that sort of gig, that I like, frankly, was a very, very, very small fish in a very large pond. Yes. Um. For, but I really um. I think that I held my own. I think that I did okay. Yeah,
0: I'm sure that you did. And uh, let me acknowledge all the privilege that comes in asking a question like that. <laughs> like that. I hope that's not insulting. I, no, it's
1: it's not. Um, And, I mean, I have to uh, – that's just, like, the thing that I have to think about in my uh, career. But what's – I mean, again, the positive spin that I am putting on being a, like, relatively marginalized identity and a, like, relatively – Hugely homogenistic industry like entertainment um, is that I can walk into an open mic and say my jokes and people are going to see me and they're going to remember that like weird little Asian queer person. (laughs) I could be a 25 year old young white guy in a flannel and...
0: Please don't.
1: And right, right. Um, but if I were that person, okay. By and large, in entertainment and in the world, I would have a lot more privilege than a small queer person. But that person can go to an open mic, and probably there's ten people who look exactly like him. Probably there's twenty people who look like him. Yeah. And maybe people don't remember him. You know. So. I do. Yeah. So that's how I'm, That's how I've decided to say it to myself.
0: So with the the gig at the Pack, you killed.
1: I, I did. I yeah. think I did.
0: <laughs> good. And then does that lead to other opportunities, hanging out with Rosie?
1: Um, Rosie and I have not hung out yet, <laughs> although she did turn around in her chair and tell me she thought I was very funny. That's good. Um, which I thought was really cool. She actually um, she referenced to me a couple of times in her set. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, which <laughs> it was in funny. In a good way. <laughs> yeah, I was like. I wonder if she has a crush on me. <laughs> I wonder if I can use that. So I'll, I'm just going to – I'll just hold on to that one until yeah. I think that it becomes relevant. Put um, it in
0: the back pocket.
1: But, like, since then, I've um, – I mean, I've met a lot of people who are all over – like, just in a lot of different industries because it was a fundraiser show right. um, for rich lesbians, essentially. Listen. Um
0: that's a good group to get in with. It it is.
1: It's a great group for, for uh me to know. Um and so it's it's not uncommon actually for me to run into people who saw me at that show, um, who work in journalism or who are writers or who are uh, you know, directors. Like it just um it opened up a lot of um a lot of worlds for me, which is very cool. I don't um and uh yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I want to say. That's Good. What I say well, I'm that.
0: glad that it's it's, it's continuing to uh, pay off in certain ways.
1: I had somebody stop me at a bodega the other day. <laughs> um,
0: that's fame right there. It
1: was it was funny. Um, I was there with my friend who is another um, Asian Pacific Islander American person. Um, we were both wearing caps uh the guy who worked at the bodega had just finished asking us if we were sisters um, and this is another trans person um, and we were like no <laughs> like we're just just trying to buy some cigarettes <laughs> like, yeah. and then at that moment an older white woman who was not coming into the bodega who was just passing by saw me came in and was like, excuse me, did you perform at the Alpac show? And I was like, "You're yes, I did. I am famous and I'm not this person's sister. Thank you very much. <laughs> That'd make a good cap, too, wouldn't it? It yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> N- not your sister. Right.
0: <laughs> that sounds uh, pretty. Uh, that, that, I, I live for those moments. I've only had that happen to me once where I was on a new cover of a newspaper kind of a thing. S.F. Weekly, I think. Yeah. And somebody would come by, came into the burger place, and said, "Hey, you're the guy." I'm like, listen, just let me eat. <laughs>
1: just, I, I know, <laughs> right. I know. I get it. here, here. Right. Just take, take want? this, take this. <laughs>
0: Sign a napkin. Uh, that's when I knew I had to get out. It's too small. Town it, was too small.
1: That it is.
0: But um, well, and did you, you didn't meet Hillary though?
1: No, um, what was funny about that was uh that Hillary had made a video for that show yeah. um like specifically addressing like the audience of this show um and it and they showed it uh during the show on a huge projector. It was very dystopian, actually yeah. <laughs> having like Hillary's giant head appear um. And the whole crowd like went wild and I was like, She's she's not here. This is a pre-recorded video. Like iPhone she, video. she made this like <laughs> three weeks ago. <laughs> like she's not here. Um Yeah, what was interesting about that show was that like at I mean, at that point the primaries were over. You know, I was I was like, Well, obviously I'm voting for her, obviously that's what's gonna happen. But I actually wasn't a huge you know tremendous proponent of like Hillary herself and I definitely was an outlier in that opinion in that crowd obviously like I actually felt very um kind of closeted that whole time because I was like don't 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 tell them that you voted for Bernie in the primaries (laughs) don't tell them um now of course with the way that everything went I'm like you know what I did my best I did my part to make sure this didn't happen
0: that's right well, at least your pal Rosie can still get under his skin.
1: That I don't think she's even trying to.
0: No, I don't know what it is. I think that's a situation of a crush gone bad or something. I mean, that, that, definitely they're in psychic warfare together. I mean, and I love it. He, I don't understand it.
1: He's obsessed with her, and I get, I get obsessed with my enemies. So
0: you have somebody that you're in a psychic warfare with?
1: Oh, I have many different nemesis. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I tell you, I had one. And then uh, we had apologized, said some words, and it was okay. And then I had a kind of a decent gig, and I was walking to a meeting, you know, a high powered meeting, and I passed a meeting, uh, some takeout on the t- back of a truck. And I thought, it's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm winning. <laughs> Nobody's asking him for his autograph over That's right. burgers. <laughs> That's right.
0: He's not signing <laughs> napkins, he's using them. But um, I miss Rosie a little bit. The Rosie, like, jocular Rosie that would appear on the talk shows and have a lot of TV knowledge.
1: Yeah. I, uh, my One of my roommates watches the TV show The Fosters a lot.
0: Oh, is she on that?
1: She is. Oh. Um, yeah, she... I, I'm not sure exactly who she plays, but I, like, will see her on the screen and be like, oh, she knows who I am now. <laughs> she knows who I am. She's... While she's, like, telling, like, troubled teenagers to, like, keep it together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Well, I think with her, the talk show kind of fizzled it was just you run out of steam that's what people think they think oh everybody can have a talk show they like the the jokes Mm -hmm. that's like built on seven minutes of comedy a talk show is a long long game and uh, people run out of steam i don't know that's what
1: i believe it yeah (laughs)
0: that's what happened you're friendly with aquafina
1: um i know aquafina yeah Yeah. a Uh
0: talk show host She's been a guest on this show?
1: Aquafina's awesome. Um yeah, she's great. I uh opened for her at a show at Hunter College. There you go. Um and what was really funny about that was that I had said a lot in that set. Um I I talked a lot about being single and then during Aquafina's set she likes to do this like dating game kind of thing (laughs) where she takes like a guy and a girl from the audience and I was like you know what would be so funny would be if I went up as the girl Um, and because like I mean not like identifying as a girl or a woman I was like ha 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 like this is such a hilarious joke but Aquafina. um is just not, you know, she doesn't move through the same, like, queer bubbles that I do. So she, you know, didn't know anything about that. And so she was using, like, she, her pronouns for her. And all all the students, uh, like, she would refer to me as she. And the students in the audience would go, they. And I was like, oh, this is really cute and sweet. (laughs) And then later on, I think that some of the students, like, talked to her. About that or something, which I didn't really want them to do. So she, like, came up to me later and, like, apologized to me and we talked about it. Um, And so now now I worry that our meeting has been marred by this, like, kind of awkward experience, this, like, awkward misgendering experience. But I, like, I mean, I don't hold that against her or anything like that.
0: Well, uh, Aquafina, if you're listening. Everything's
1: yeah, fine. hi Aquafina, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think she's awesome, and I would love to work with her again. I mean, she's killing it right now.
0: Yeah, doing a great job. Yeah. Um, well, we said we'd come back to this issue of cyborg thing, and that kind of touches on what you're talking about, maybe.
1: I think I it could. Know. I think it um,
0: could. Uh, so, what what does that? Because I I know the term uh, as it applies to trans individuals. Yes. Yeah. Is it exclusive to trans no. community?
1: No, no, certainly not. I mean, cyborg
0: means more interested
1: in tech. I mean, that's sort of I I use that like very casually now, um, which is funny with this whole like Ghost in the Shell thing that's happening um, yes. right right now as well. Um, but uh, explain
0: I, what the Ghost in the Shell thing is, right? Because there's a whitewash uh, whitewashing issue
1: uh, yeah. in
0: entertainment where uh, traditionally culturally specific characters will be recast, Tradici- and a lot a lot of it's happening with with uh, Asian, Asian characters. people,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, so Ghost in the Shell, uh, it is a classic anime and manga, um, takes place in a neo-futuristic Tokyo, um, the main character is this, like, uh, is a cyborg, um, and they made a Hollywood movie out of it, it's gonna come out in a couple of weeks, and the main character, whose name was, um... Motoko Kusanagi, which they have changed for this movie, is being played by Scarlett Johansson. What's her name in the movie, Michelle? They, they're they calling her Mira, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a universal name with universal appeal. Um, and uh, I got all—I mean, I was already, like, aware of this issue, um, but I got more— cl- Closely and intimately wrapped up in this because, uh, Chewy May, another stand-up comic, and I made, a uh, a sort of PSA-style video that went viral, um, that's still, like, really getting passed around a lot right now, um, and has been on, like, BuzzFeed and Upworthy, um, and, uh... So, yeah, the cyborg issue. The funny thing that, like, people keep saying um, to us in critique of, like, our video is that, like, that character is a cyborg. She doesn't have a race. And I'm like, well, technically, like, a cyborg is part human, part machine, which means that it does have a race. Um, The most famous cyborg. Yes, is... A comic character. Clearly, like... African-American. Right. You can't look at him and be like, he doesn't have a race. He's a cyborg. Like, no, he's, like, clearly a black man. His name is Cyborg. Like, he's got a race. (laughs) Um, Good
0: old Vic Stone had a problem. Right. And uh, his dad had to make him into a robot.
1: Exactly. Or something. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I mean, the joke that I've been telling about Ghost in the Shell is that I will say all of that, and, um, you know, someone will say to me, well, actually... um, you know Motoko is Japanese but she's a cyborg so and her shell is European so I don't think you understand the source material and I'm like well first of all I'm a Japanese cyborg so I am the source material <laughs> yes um, <laughs> but uh does that work? Does I, that quiet him down? <laughs> I, I uh <laughs> I wish that it would. Yes. I certainly wish that it would. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean I think that you know, based off of 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 cyborg theory, um, a cyborg is technically like any any like any any organic thing meeting any sort of technological thing. So, uh, you know, one of the examples is uh, like a monkey using a stick to get bugs okay. is a cyborg. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, it's 2017. I'm glued to this phone. Here we are talking into this microphone, like I'm like wearing clothes to stay out of the cold. Like I'm a cyborg. This is like all cyborg happening here.
0: A participant in modern society.
1: <laughs> I mean, we're all cyborgs. Like, yeah, we <laughs> yeah, we well, we are. It's just yeah. whether or not we claim it.
0: <laughs> I see. I see. And it,
1: what what happens though when you
0: claim it? Is well, there some strength to it?
1: I think so. I mean, because I think that. Um, I mean, you know, people feel very divided about the role of technology in our lives right now. And um, I think that if, you know, if you want to view it as very dystopian, it certainly is dystopian. I mean, you're, all your data is getting logged. Somebody knows where you are <laughs> at all times. Like, right. that's totally scary. Um, or you can uh, do what I think that I'm doing, which is probably being in deep denial about all of those facts. Um <laughs> Not denial, but I'm like, well, it's true. Like, yeah, I, I'm being tracked. Um, And try to figure out, like, you know, how can I use the internet? How can I use social media? How can I use these tools that I've been given to better the world or to get my story out there or to do the work that I need to do rather than, like, resisting it? Which I also totally understand when people... uh. Don't like social media or don't like the internet and do want to distance themselves from it. I think that that's fine too. I just think that it's like different strokes for different folks, basically.
0: Yes. Just be careful with the microwave because now they're taking pictures of us.
1: Yep. It's (laughs) true. I wonder about – well, just because, like, your your phone literally – your phone or your computer literally can take pictures of you without you knowing it. So no, no. it's like, eh, nah, why, why the microwave, though? The microwave <laughs> never did anything to anybody.
0: Oh, oh, we don't know
1: that. Leave the microwave alone.
0: I'm very distrustful of it to begin with. <laughs> uh, just as a device, I don't think things should cook that fast.
1: Oh, okay. That's some San Francisco politics. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm revealing how close I am to the bulk food bin mm-hmm. at Rainbow Grocer's. <laughs> that your <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, now I feel like I need a hermit vacation. <laughs> I miss it out there. It. Oh, it's nice out there. As I said, I want to do that. But um well This has been really great. Yeah,
1: it has. You have some
0: shows coming up?
1: I do. Um, I'm actually uh, doing a few really exciting shows coming up. On the 23rd, I'm going to be at Brooklyn Museum. Oh. Um, Yeah, they're having a feminist comedy marathon there. Wow. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of really, really great um, comics. I think a lot of queer folks, a lot of women of color. Um, I'm doing that. I'm going to be on uh, It's a Guy Thing at Union Hall. Oh yeah, uh, on the thirty yeah. first. I'm very excited about that one too. Um, that one, the conceit of the show is that all of the performers uh, like present on a quote unquote guy thing. Um, I think that mine is going to be on whether or not I should start taking testosterone. Ah. Uh-huh. Um so I think that that's what I'm going to be talking about there. Um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's some stuff that's coming up for me. Wow,
0: that's terrific. Well, I I really enjoyed speaking with you and I wish you all great success. Thank
1: you very much. It's uh it's been really great to be here. Okay.
0: Thanks, Jess. Well, there you have it, cyborgs. Remember to put a blanket over your microwaves if you plan on almost uh, having sex anytime soon or having almost sex either way and the girl scout motto i looked that up i'm pleased to say it's the same as the boy scout motto be prepared scouts gender neutral without even knowing it scouting was a tough time for me i'll be honest with you be prepared for teenage boys to be the worst is what the rest of that motto should say also make friends with an older scout and you'll sail through all those merit badges i wish i had a merit badge for podcasting put it on my old belt and wear it proudly well, for talking about pants again, it must be time for us to part. Thank you so much for joining me this week. And remember, although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Buley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night themed by Zach Gabbard, season nine podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening.